0: Let's open our Bibles to the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, we will read together the first 17 verses, Matthew chapter 1, but before reading let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that during this entire season, the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation will be set before the hearts of men and women and children, and that each would be enabled by sovereign grace to embrace him as Lord and Savior. And for those of us who know him, that we may grow in our understanding of what this means and the the awe inspiring truth and reality that God came down to redeem and save us from our sins, assuming human nature, going to the cross, being raised from the dead, and with the promise that he will come again to receive us unto himself. Will you, this morning, use this text in that way which only you can to convict of sin, to show, to show us our need of Jesus, and to grow us in an understanding of your goodness and the miraculous grace that is shown us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you do this, Lord? For we ask it in the name of Jesus and the powerful work of the Spirit of God. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. This is the Word of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shaltil, and Shaltil the father of Zerubbabel, yeah, and Zerubbabel the father of Aviud, and Aviud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. All the way back in Second Samuel chapter 7, God promised that a king would come. A king who would reign over Israel. And the purpose of the genealogy that we have just read together is to show that Jesus proclaimed in Matthew's gospel is the one who came in fulfillment of the promise that God gave to David long ago. Indeed, as far back as to Abraham. Indeed, as far back as to Adam. This genealogy, however, is all about grace, the grace of God in bringing the king, the grace of God in the salvation that has been brought by the king. Will you look with me then at grace, grace in the genealogy, and will you look with me and see this grace in four ways? First of all, we see a gracious new beginning. A gracious new beginning. Literally, if you were to translate from the Greek New Testament these opening words in verse 1, it would read the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. And we are reminded of the book of Genesis immediately when we turn here. As a matter of fact, the book of Genesis is structured after the idea of genealogies, the whole world and universe that God created was seen to be in terms of a genealogy. We read, for example, in verse 4 of Genesis 2, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And when we come to chapter 5 of Genesis, we find also the genealogy of Adam after his rebellion and sin. In Adam's rebellion, the whole human race was plunged into sin and the result is death. And when we come to that genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis, right after the fall, we read this refrain, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Why then does Matthew's genealogy recall Genesis? It's simple, but profound, because a new Adam has come. And with him has come a new beginning. A new beginning that will spell the death of death in his death and life. And so it is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ, of course, meaning Messiah. Jesus, the name given to him according to chapter 1, verse 21 of this book, Matthew, his name being Jesus, who will save their people, God's people, from their sins. Jesus, Savior, ...who is called Messiah... He is called in verse 1, you will notice, the son of David, which often recurs as a title for Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, the one who will sit on David's throne, the one promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the one who bears the extravagant titles of Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one who will die for sinners and rise from the dead, of whom Paul speaks in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And he is the one through whom the whole earth will be blessed because also in verse 1 he is called the son of Abraham. He is the one who fulfills ultimately the covenant with Abraham who seals the oath through his blood through whom salvation comes to the entire world for it was promised to Abraham in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And since he is son of David and son of Abraham, it also emphasizes his true humanity. For the Son of God came and assumed human nature. We see remarkably in this opening verse a new beginning, people of God. A new beginning, do you see it? A coming Messiah, the King, the heir of the covenant promises, a new Genesis, a new creation. And I ask, do you need a new beginning? Everyone who understands his sin and rebellion against God knows that he needs a new beginning. Knows and understands that we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Understands original sin. Understands that we are depraved and corrupt in our nature. We need a Savior. We need a new beginning. Or this beginning began by God in his creation is now fallen and we with it. You need a new beginning. And in his perfect time, the father sent his son. In him is the new beginning who brings new life, a new rule, a new reign, a new king, a new kingdom, leading to a new heaven and a new earth. And all human history was prepared for the newness of his birth. We see, first of all, a gracious new beginning in this genealogy. But secondly, as we move on, that leads us also to see, secondly, a gracious plan. A gracious plan. Now look at this genealogy and see God's grace in Israel's history. God's plan unfolded and how the Lord walked with His people through history to bring the Messiah into the world. As summarized in verse 17... So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. From Abraham to David, that entails the covenant made with Abraham, the enslavement of God's people in Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, the giving of the law, Joshua, Judges, Saul, the king. From David to the Babylonian captivity, which would encapsulate the monarchy, the divided kingdom, the destruction of Jerusalem. Is God there in dark times? Yes, He is. And from Babylon, from the Babylonian captivity till the coming of Christ, as we read in verses 12 through 15, by the way, we have no external history. All we have is biblical history here, no external history for what is reported in verses 12 through 15. It includes all of those years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Jesus is David's son, but he will come from obscure origins, a root out of a dry land. Yes, he's the king, but the world will not recognize his pedigree. From where does he come? Who is he that he should be regarded the king of the Jews and the savior of the nations? You see, Jesus condescended to sinners of low estate this world doesn't even recognize his origin. David's son is God's son, born in a manger. That's condescension. And so what is God revealing to us as we read in this genealogy, this coming of the Savior, even from obscure background? What is the plan that works through redemptive history to bring Jesus into the world? Well, we call it providence, don't we? We call it the providence of God, His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions, so that from Abraham to David to the captivity to the coming of the Christ, and still today, God is working His purpose out to exalt His Son and to save His people from their sins. Stephen Carnack, the old Puritan, said the providence of God is infallible because of his infinite wisdom, indefatigable, because of his omnipotency, and righteous because of his goodness. And God is working his purpose out in all of his good, righteous love and mercy. And in all of history, he's preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions, So that when we come to the Christmas season, for example, we think about Emperor Augustus who determines to register the entire Roman world. His decree demands that people return to their place of ancestry for registration. The Roman demand comes to Joseph and Mary just at the right time so that they must travel to Bethlehem where Jesus is born fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem of Judea. You see it's the providence of God at work. And is not the sovereign God your heavenly father? Is he not still at work in the lives of his people Can you not trust that he is working his purpose out for you in your circumstances? Will you not this morning take to heart the truth of the providence of God? That this same God who in eternity past planned to redeem you. Set to motion in this world his own plan to bring his son so that his son would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So that his son would obey the law you broke. So that his son would go to a cross and shed his blood to redeem you from your sins. So that his son would be raised from the dead. Can't you trust that this God who has given to you His Son will also with Him freely give you all things? Can't you trust and believe that this God, even in the mystery of it all, things that are incomprehensible to you, can't you believe and trust that this God is at work in your life too? Can't you? Do you remember the Heidelberg Catechism, those beautiful words what do you understand by the providence of God? The answer is, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds as with His hand heaven and earth and all creatures. So rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance but by His fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will they can neither move nor be moved. That's what the genealogy in Matthew 1 is teaching you. I know I've read it to you before, but I can't help it. I'm reading it again. Because there is no more beautiful description of what God is doing in history in his providence than was written by the great Jonathan Edwards. God's providence, says Jonathan Edwards, God's providence may not unfitly be compared to a large and long river having innumerable branches beginning in different regions and at a great distance from one another and all conspiring to one common issue. After their very diverse and apparent contrary courses, they all collect together the nearer they come to their common end and at length discharge themselves at one mouth into the same ocean. He goes on to say the different streams of this river are apt to appear like mere confusion to us because of our limited sight whereby we cannot see the whole at once. A man who sees but one or two streams at a time cannot tell what their course tends to. Their course seems very crooked and different streams seem to run for a while different and contrary ways. And if we view things at a distance, there seem to be innumerable obstacles and impediments in the way as rocks and mountains and the like to hinder their ever uniting and coming to the ocean. But yet if we could trace them, They all unite at last. They all come to the same issue, disgorging themselves into one and the same ocean. Not one, listen to this, not one of all the streams fails. One of the great truths of Christmas is the providence of God. That your God is working His purpose out. That you may not see it. You may not comprehend it. You may not understand it. Like all of these various tributaries. But they will empty themselves into the great ocean of the glory of God in the end. The same Christ that came into the world by providence. That same Christ is at work in your life, Christian, even now. Everything about his people. Don't miss this. Everything about his people is so precious to God that your very hairs are numbered, so his plan for you cannot fail. Third thing we see in the genealogy is a gracious selection, a gracious selection. The genealogy of Jesus shows that Christ came for sinners of all types, men and women. Women in this genealogy, that's very peculiar in a Jewish context. The the Jews did not have a high regard for women in many ways. They had what we would call an unbiblical view of women, knowing the whole of the Word of God. And Matthew is the most Jewish of all Gospels And yet women are included in the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus came for men, for women, for children, people of all races, all walks, sinners like us in need of a Savior. Look at how this is shown in the four women who are highlighted in this genealogy. We first of all have this woman Tamar. see it there in verse 3. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron and so forth. You remember Tamar, she was a Canaanite. God took away her husband and the next oldest brother and Judah promised to raise children up by his third son Shelah. This was leveret marriage uh, so that when the husband died a seed was brought up to the husband by the nearest male relative. Judah failed to keep his promise. You will remember that Tamar tricked Judah into sexual relations and Perez and Zerah were born. Tamar and Perez are part of Jesus' line. God's grace for the downcast. Jesus, what a friend for sinners, all the way back in Genesis 38... The next woman that we see mentioned here is Rahab in verse 5, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. Rahab, what words, when I mention Rahab, what comes next? Rahab the harlot. Canaanite who lived in Jericho and protected the Jewish spies and helped God's people enter the city. She's an ancestress of David and therefore of the Messiah. Ruth, verse 5, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Ruth, this Moabite woman who returned to Israel after her husband's death with her mother-in-law Naomi. She was a Moabitess. Do you know what that means? She was a descendant of Lot through incest. When Malon married Ruth it was against God's law and God graciously and mercifully made her a part of the people of God and the grandmother of David and therefore the ancestress of Christ. We have another woman in verse 6. Look at how it's mentioned. And Jesse the father of David the king and David the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah and the wife of Uriah was... Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, David with Bathsheba, unholy union this, adultery, murder, and yet, by the grace of God, made a part of the people of God and in Christ's genealogy. You see, every name in this genealogy, but Christ himself was a sinner, every one of them. Some notoriously so, some terribly Sinned against by other sinners as well, but the sovereign God brings real grace to real sinners. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and God uses the history of others, such as the kings, to bring his redemption to the world. God didn't send his son for good people, God sent his son to redeem sinners. God sent his son for Rahab the harlot. God sent his son for sinners like you and me. Every human inhabitant of heaven is a sinner saved by grace. Not one of them got there in his own effort, in his own strength, in his own work, in his own merit. Christmas is about grace, people of God. God coming down to save sinners by his grace And notice this, Gentiles, not only Jews. Remember again, Matthew, the most Jewish of the Gospels. And what do we see? Tamar, a Canaanite. Rahab, a Canaanite. Ruth, a Moabitess. Bathsheba, the wife of a Hittite. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world. So that we read in Revelation 5, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation on earth. And so, foreigner, outcast, the fallen, the displaced, the wicked, the sinner, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you sit here this morning and you see yourself to be ungodly? Well, here's the Word of God, Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you hear it? He died for the ungodly. Matthew's genealogy is here to say he came for sinners. He came for ungodly people. I wish the whole world could hear this this morning. That's what Christmas is about. That's why he's here. It's not shootings and stabbings and arguments over things. It's Jesus, the Savior, of those who shoot and stab and who need a changed heart. It's Jesus, the Savior of sinners like us. So we've seen a gracious new beginning, a gracious plan, a gracious selection. But now I want you to see one other thing, a gracious condescension. I really mean an immeasurable condescension. A truly remarkable condescension. A gracious condescension. We read in verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now notice the difference. All along we have the father of, the father of, the father of. When we come to verse 16, he doesn't say the father of Christ because Joseph is not the father of Christ. Not biologically, but only by adoption. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Matthew makes it plain that Joseph did not beget Christ. That he was not his biological father. That Jesus is born of a virgin. And when we go on in the verses that follow, we read of the virgin birth of Christ. Christ condescended to have an adoptive father. Imagine that. This is the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. The father, the first person of the Trinity, is his father. And he comes into this world and condescends to be the adoptive son of an adopted father and to be put in the stream of his legal genealogy, which we've read this morning in Matthew chapter 1. Now Luke's genealogy is probably Mary's. Scholars differ on this, but probably Mary's. Jesus is the son of David through Joseph's legal genealogy and through Mary also of David's line. And the Son of God condescended to be born of Mary the Virgin. The second person of the Trinity condescended to assume human nature. And it was all according to plan. Notice the three groups of 14 generations in verse 17. Did you notice Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Three groups of 14 generations, seven twice over. The Savior is perfect. Seven is the number of perfection. Twice over, 14, simply pointing to the perfection of the Saviour who has come into this world. David, by the way, Old Testament in the Old Testament letters, Hebrew letters have numerical value. And if you take the numerical value of David, the numerical value is fourteen. The Messiah has come. Stuart Custer says in his little commentary, quotes Leon Morris saying, Leon Morris notes that the number 14 would have been impressive to the first century Jews. It is clear that God is working out his will in cycles of perfect symmetry. And so we see the condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ, this great condescension, born of Mary in the genealogy of an adoptive father, not by accident, all according to the plan of, of God. So Matthew's purpose in this genealogy, it's to say that Jesus is the true and perfect Messiah. That he has come to bless the nations with salvation. And God directed the times and the moments to bring it about. It is a genealogy through which the Father stretches out his hand this morning and calls sinners to faith in the one that he has sent into the world to be our Redeemer and Savior. Think about this this Christmas. Think, think, people, think. God came to save sinners. There's nothing more profound than that. And it was according to God's plan to save sinners, it was according to God's providence to save sinners. And it's my goal every Christmas, if God is pleased to use me in this way, it is my goal that I, along with my people, my sheep, that we are simply enraptured with the wonder of what it means that God came down to save us. And that God planned to redeem us. And went to such lengths that he sent his own son who willingly came to be born that he might die and be raised on the third day. So you see, there's a lot about the providence of God that you and I don't understand. There are things all around us that perplex us. We do not understand how man is fully responsible for what he does, how God is absolutely sovereign in it all. But I'll tell you this, you look at the cross... You look at the cross. That was the purpose of the birth. You look at the cross. And you can say whatever is going on, it's no game. Providence. Do you know there's not one person sitting here this morning by accident? You got up of your own volition. You brushed your teeth, I guess. Washed your face, combed your hair, most of you. Not one person is here by accident. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you're not here by accident either. You are here by the providence of God. So is there someone here this morning that is careless? You're not here by accident to hear that there's a redeemer from your carelessness. Is there someone here that's thinking of ending his life? Because you're so miserable in your sin. You're not here by accident either. Someone here that's just utterly hopeless. You read this genealogy and there you find hope. God purposing to send his son to save sinners like us. You're here this morning. You're hearing the message. Sometime read the mystery of providence by John Flavel. Some wonderful Biblical exposition, some wonderful stories. Remember one of them, just a little one, a Mrs. Honeywell. She was, um, maybe it was Honeywood, one of those old names. And she, um, she knew she was a sinner, but she didn't get grace. And she took up a glass, a fine Venetian glass, and she said to her pastor, I'm going to be damned as surely as when I throw this on the floor, it's going to break. And she slammed it to the floor, that fine Venetian glass, and it didn't break. And her pastor picked it up and said, do you see your presumption? The same God who preserved this Venetian glass can save your soul from sin. That small incident turned her around. Let me tell you, you're not here by accident. The same providence that framed history to bring Christ into the world frames the history of his own to bring them to faith in Christ. And so the command that comes from God, God commands all men everywhere to repent, does not come to you by chance this morning, but by God's design. It is not accident that this minister presses upon you the infinite importance of the things of eternity You're here because God has designed that you be here. And this redemption comes by plan. As surely as God brought His Son into the world according to plan, He has brought you here according to plan. So people of God, let's get a good start on the Christmas season. Let's remember who we are lost ungodly sinners by nature in need of a redeemer and that God so planned to redeem us. He even gave us a genealogy to show us that he worked through history to bring his own son into the world to save us. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.